Welcome back to the 123 Show on RTHK Radio 3. I'm Cruz McCalligan with you today until 3 o'clock. And right now in studio, I'm joined by Paul Crow from Kadori Farm and Botanic Gardens. Paul, thank you for joining us on the programme this afternoon. I could turn your mic on, that'd probably help as well. Um, and so you're a conservation officer with Kadori. That's correct, a KFBG. senior conservation officer with Kadori Farm. And is Hong Kong an interesting place to do what you do? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's really a, a unique experience and a, a unique opportunity in, in Hong Kong for me to be able to work with nature. Um, um, I think I just mentioned to you earlier that I've been there a lot longer than I expected to be because it is just just a fascinating uh, place to, to work with nature. And so what kind of, I mean, because I think people forget this, right? We, we're all in a little hamster wheel sometimes and people don't, unless they aggressively collide with nature and not always encountering it in the ways that we could because it's right on our doorstep. What kind of things do we have in Hong Kong that make it a unique place? Hong Kong's actually incredibly biodiverse. We have we have as much biodiversity packed into Hong Kong as you do in much larger countries. We have we have uh, over 530 species of bird recorded wow. and, and climbing. We've got 57 species of mammal. Um, we've got uh, uh, over a hundred reptiles and amphibians here, and these figures are sort of comparable with the, the UK's biodiversity Gosh. and Taiwan's biodiversity. Places that are much, much bigger land masses. So there's a lot here. There's a lot packed in. And is most of that uh, diversity in our country parks and areas like that, or is it integrated Both inside and outside our country parks? Um, a lot of people, when they they picture Hong Kong, they they picture concrete, they picture infrastructure, mm -hmm. rails, roads, shops. Um, but we still have about 70% of our land mass that's green mm. um, and about 40% that's actually set aside as country park or nature reserve. And, and animals don't distinguish between the boundary of a, a nature reserve and, and uh, just another green area. So they are distributed right across the territory anywhere that's green. Gosh, fantastic. And But I mean, I was just uh, one of the reasons I wanted to chat to you today is because I picked up my latest copy of National Geographic and it was one of the most depressing magazines I've ever read in my life because this uh, the latest issue is all about endangered species and species that have gone extinct that are going extinct on global scales all over the world and there's a really emotional photo of a giant rhino on the cover looking very sad and obviously disappearing slowly and Hong Kong also has quite a few endangered species we're not immune to this this you know mass extinction event that seems to be happening so what what do we have here that's at risk at the moment yeah that's right I mean we don't have a huge number of species that are at, at uh, sort of risk of extinction because Hong Kong is such a small territory that anything that is native or living here in the territory probably also lives somewhere else right, so, sure. so you know they, they have a broader range but we have some particular species that's worth highlighting um, and it, it's actually amazing that Hong Kong is so important to some species um, one that I work with and have done for the last 20 years is the three-banded box turtle or mm. gum chingui. Um, it's a, it's a well-known species locally and in South China. Um, people people know it as soon as you often if you point at a turtle, people will call it a, a gum chingui. Um, and but uh, th this turtle is critically endangered. It's on the list of the, the top 25 most endangered turtles on the planet. Wow! And in actual fact, the only place that we know that it's still managing to breed in the wild is here in Hong Kong. Gosh! Now, if you draw that on a map, put a dot, and go, that's where gum chingui still breed in in the world. You realize it. We're a tiny place, but we have a critical role to play to, to maintain this species. And are we maintaining the species? Is uh, it, is we've it... been working hard with AFCD for the last uh, 
the last sort of 15, 16, 17 years to try and ensure that the species um, persists into the future. Um, we have a, a breeding program for the, for the species. We're trying to, we hoped actually many years ago to be reintroducing or, or releasing animals back into the wild in Hong Kong to, uh, to, to restock some of our streams. But unfortunately, the streams have not been safe enough mm. for many years. There's still a, a background level of illegal um, trapping and poaching that goes on in the territory. So until that's completely capped, um, we're not ready to put this resource, these living creatures, back into the wild yet, but soon, I hope. Yeah, fingers crossed. And, of course, there's people introducing things into the wild that shouldn't be in the wild either. That's right. right. Actually, in fact, I mentioned earlier we had 530 species of bird. A great deal of those aren't actually meant to be here and have originated somehow yeah. uh, through release into the wild. Um, there are a, a number of other species that are establishing in the territory that, that shouldn't be here. Um, there are lizards that shouldn't be here. There are turtles that shouldn't be here. Um, yeah, and they can they can be a, a risk to to uh, the natural ecosystems. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, we have no laws in Hong Kong that prevent um, the release of non-native species into the wild. We don't. We don't. So if someone tra catches you with a exotic parrot, just releasing it out your window, you, you're fine you, to do that. You, you, you shouldn't do that. To do that. You, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, you may be prosecuted for a, an animal welfare offence. Oh, you could sure. say it's mm -hmm. an abandonment, and mm -hmm. that's actually probably the only law that could right. could potentially stop people releasing things at the moment. But it's a big gap in our, our sort of wildlife and nature conservation legislation. It needs to be addressed. Um, a lot of other first world nations are, are a long way ahead of us, and they have laws that stipulate exactly what can and can't be released in the wild, what can even be imported into a country. A lot of countries won't allow the import of a species if it's potentially going to be damaging to the ecosystem if it was then released. So I think we need to catch up on that. Mm. And Hong Kong, we have a history of kind of bringing in animals to, I think a lot of our monkey population was to try and control some trees. Am I getting this right? Half urban myth. There was some trees planted to do something, poisonous trees next to our water. We get the monkeys to eat the trees. They, was that, am yeah, I that, following that's right. that right? The, the story goes that the, the macaques were brought in um, to try and control the, 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 the growth of a creeper. I think it was a mm. vine that, that had a, a poisonous plant. But I think there was probably also macaques native to the region as well. So that was probably just boosting an existing an existing population that was here. Mm. And so we're talking a little bit about some endangered species that, you know, obviously we're encroaching, people encroach on their habitats. We, we upset a balance by introducing other species that compete for their resources. What about ones that are proliferating, that shouldn't be proliferating? Because there's a, there's a lot of monkeys and there's a lot of wild boar. Yeah, the two that you've highlighted there are the, are the obvious ones in the territory. Um, and they're both, they're both now under the spotlight. Um, the government are attempting to control those populations. Now, they're getting out of balance partly because our ecosystem is incomplete. Mm -hmm. um, if you go right back in, in history, we would have had um, native predators here that were capable of, of feeding upon um, both those species and helping to keep the populations under control. Um, we, we once would have had uh, tigers here. I think mm. the last tiger was shot in something like 1965. Really? Yep. We had tigers up until 1965. I think it was 1965. You Gosh. can go and, you can go and see the uh, the skin. It's mounted in in a temple in Stanley. Wow. Um, but we had other predators as well. The 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 dole, which is a pack hunting dog, um, was thought to be here. The South China leopard should have been here. So we had other big predators that would have helped keep things like macaques and and wild boar under control. Um, they're not here now. Mm. We have just one large native predator left in the territory that is capable of uh, feeding on both those species, and that's the Burmese python. 
Oh, right. And so now it's... I was going to say, is it, is it us? <laughs> no, okay, good. It's the Burmese python, well, sure. We are the other potential right, predator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I think we're not contributing in, in the way we, we should mm -hmm, to, to mm -hmm. manage those populations because actually a large part of the population... Uh, loves the wildlife, loves the monkeys, loves the boar, and they mistakenly go out and feed them, thinking that they're helping, yeah. they're helping the, the, the animals. Now, they might help that individual the day they feed it, yeah. but what you're creating is, is an artificial reliance on a human food source. You're drawing animals out of the forest, drawing animals away from natural food sources, making them congregate in populations that are unnaturally large and dense, um, and bringing them close to human habitation and infrastructure like roads. So it actually, by feeding them, you, you're actually encouraging them to get into a situation which is not good for the population. Yeah. It'd be much better to leave them in the countryside. Right. And so that's another thing, because I mean, a lot of people who are like, claim to be animal lovers, right? So they use the generic, big, broad title of animal lover, will have like a dog or a cat. And of course, things like dogs or cats, domestic, domestic animals, we interact with, you're supposed to interact with them, it's part of what makes them happy animals. You're meant to pet them and feed them and look after them and say hello to them. That's different when we're talking about wildlife, right? That you're meant to just leave it be. That, that's right, yeah. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, if people do start to look at wildlife uh, in, in the same manner or in the same way they would look at a domestic pet, uh, I guess that's where the feeding impulse comes mm. from, where mm. people want to be near them. Um, but it's it's actually quite a dangerous thing to be doing as well. Both, both those species, wild boar and macaques, are equipped with a body that's capable of... of protecting itself yes, against others yeah. of its of its kind they they're capable therefore of inflicting injury to people they don't necessarily want to but if they're startled or they get a fright or you know um, they're already annoyed because they've just had an interaction with one of their own group and you come across them at the, the wrong time you could put yourself right in the firing line yeah. so another reason just don't feed them don't be around mm. them watch them from a distance and enjoy them behaving naturally Mm. And so, of course, um, I know that every time I go to the country park, and I, I have a big, I have a big old Hong Kong mongrel dog that I always keep leashed in a country park. I think it's because I, I spend a lot of. I'm from New Zealand, and in New Zealand, if you take a dog, if you take your dog walking in a forest or something like that, they're always telling you you've got to keep your dog on a leash because of you're going to upset nesting birds and things like that. And you know, dogs are not. Well, there's some wild dogs in Hong Kong, but I mean, what other things are we should we be doing when we're in natural spaces that are going to impact, preserve some animals and help control the populations of others. I mean, what you've just mentioned there, leashing your, your pets is probably a very good one um, because, like you say, they can be a nuisance to, to native wildlife. And in fact, one of, our, one of our critically endangered species in Hong Kong that is at risk of extinction, extinction globally, the Chinese pangolin, mm. um, it, it, one of the causes that, that actually bring it to the rescue centre, one of the commonest causes, is uh, dog attack. So we've, we've had not many pangolins brought to the rescue centre over the years, but a, a large proportion of them be, have been attacked by dogs, and many of those will have been dogs that were pets, not just feral dogs. Yeah, wow. So you know, there can be a direct impact on a creature that is really critically endangered. Gosh, I had no idea we still had pangolins in Hong Kong. In, in fact, the pangolin is, is probably, alongside the, the three-banded box turtle, is probably the other most endangered and most threatened species that we do have here. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about the fact that I've just told Hong Kong that we have <laughs> pangolins here in the wild because because we really don't want to, to highlight their existence so that poachers yeah. may well, come in and, and let's start be to honest, take no them. one's going to find one, so but, you're yeah, not going to find one. They're finding them hiding. is very difficult. Absolutely. Um, across most of the, the Chinese pangolins' range, um, it should exist 
in in southern China, across through to Nepal, mm-hmm. but finding them in a lot of, of places outside of Hong Kong is almost impossible. They're, they're virtually extinct. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong still has a sort of a a, a little covert, covert. Yeah, we, covert. we, we have a, a population here. We know it's spread across the territory, but it's it's just, it's hanging on here. And it, and I think the country park system that's been in place for since I think about 1970 has has been good for them. Mm. Poaching has been relatively well controlled here, mm. um, and it's kind of a stronghold where we hope that. Uh, but if it goes extinct would, elsewhere, yeah. we might be the last hope oh, again. Fantastic! So that's something to preserve. And when you see some, when you see like it's like one of those scary things from other countries. When you see something, say something. If you see somebody doing something that they shouldn't be doing in our country parks, you you need to Absolutely. speak out. You speak need to say up. something. When, in particular, with the with the the situation with the golden coin turtle and poaching, mm. if you if you come across any traps or people carrying traps. Around streams or waterways, that should be reported as, as as quickly as you can to the the Agriculture, Fisheries, and Conservation Department, so that they can get out there and get those removed or attempt to catch the the people involved. And because why is it important? Why is conservation important? Why does it really matter if a species disappears? Why does it matter if we don't have any more golden coin turtles? Wow, yeah. There's, I think there's probably three three levels you can look at. You can look at extinction and, and sort of talk about why it should and shouldn't happen. Um, the first and sort of biggest level is you know species have taken hundreds of thousands of years to evolve and, and become what they are and to build this earth network and ecosystem that's actually supporting us. It's giving us clean clean air, fresh water. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this whole network is is hundreds of thousands of years old. Um, who are we? What what responsibility? You know, who are we to to be able to say ah? That one's not needed anymore, mm. and, and wipe things off the planet. Um, if it's acceptable to let one species go, where do you draw the line? Can you let the next one go, and the next one go, and then all of a sudden there's no ecosystem left anymore? So I mean, we're ethically and morally sort of, I think, duty bound to look after nature because it's our home. It's yes. what, what we rely upon. But then at a, a slightly sort of tighter level. And those ecosystems are a, a, a web, a network of, of interconnections that that function together as a unit. And if you take individual parts of, of the, that network away, you can never be sure what the knock-on effect will be. Um, it could be that you remove a species and suddenly you change or shift the entire function of an ecosystem, and maybe that has a crash that causes a negative in- impact to humans. Um, sometimes it's hard to see what a, a species' role in, a net, in that network is. Um, but maybe as an example, take something like elephants on the on the African savanna. Mm. You know, they're a big animal, so you think, yeah, they'd have a big big impact. Probably bigger than you realise. Elephants are responsible for maintaining and digging an awful lot of the watering holes. And Gosh. if elephants disappear, watering holes will start to shrink. The amount of water preserved in a rainstorm will start to shrink, and then suddenly there's nothing for zebras, antelope, um, all the other plains mm. animals to drink, and maybe those populations crash. And then that will change the entire shape of, of that that ecosystem. So we have to preserve each component, each species, just in case it's critical. Yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. Oh no. Absolutely. I think it's exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly true. And sorry. It, go it ahead. Go, it goes one step further as well. Um, with each disappearing species, we are losing opportunities that could benefit humans. Um, some examples, uh, I think the, the rose periwinkle, a tiny little coastal snail, um, it it's, was producing chemicals that have been been examined and have now been used to, to produce uh, medication that prolongs, uh, prolongs the life of leukaemia sufferers. 
Amazing. Another one, American, I think, Bushmaster Vipers. Um, they looked at venom components in a snake, and people think, oh, snakes, you can get rid of them, you know, they're nasty. <laughs> but components in that venom allowed, um, allowed scientists to, to discover a new, a new pathway to manage blood coagulation in human patients, so it can benefit us. So th there's lots of examples like this where nature has got hidden, hidden opportunities mm. for us. So if we let species go extinct before we've had a chance to learn about them, we might be throwing away positive parts of our future. Absolutely. And so if what, what can you, what is a, as parting words, what are some really basic, easy things the, an everyday person can do just to try and make sure that we're not putting these species at risk, we're not putting ourselves at risk, and we're making a positive impact? I think start by looking at your own eco footprint because at, at, at that level we we are I think Hong Kong one of the mm -hmm. one of the, the world's worst sort of um, representatives of eco footprint. Our behaviours, our purchasing patterns, have a knock-on effect to, to everything we do. So if we reuse, recycle, um, choose wisely when you shop, don't choose to, to purchase. Uh, unsustainable goods don't don't feed uh, don't eat wildlife mm. steps like that can have a, a knock-on right down the line hong kong's actual sort of eco footprint and hong kong's impact on extinction is a global one mm. we we consume locally but we trade globally and we and we are are actually causing extinctions of species from thousands of miles away from the Gosh. other side of the planet um so really think about the consumerism yeah. and, and uh, control it yeah absolutely okay that's that's fantastic, Paul. Thank you very much. There's a huge amount of food for thought there. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. That was Paul Crow, Conservation Officer with Kadori Farm and Botanic Gardens, talking about Hong Kong's immense and amazing biodiversity and why we really should be protecting it.